Hi, this is Natalie Hoffman of FlyingFreeNow.com, and you're listening to the Flying Free Podcast, a support resource for women of faith looking for hope and healing from hidden emotional and spiritual abuse. Welcome to episode 149 of the Flying Free Podcast. We are one week away from hitting 150. Can you even believe that? That means three years. We've been doing this for almost three years. I just want to share a couple of the re- of uh, the reviews that came in on Apple iTunes and thank those of you who have left reviews over there. They're so much fun to read. Here's a couple of them. I don't really have the word to describe how much is it me, that's the book that I wrote, and this podcast, as well as being part of the sisterhood, have really helped me. Counseling too. I walked away from an abusive marriage that I thought I would be bound to for the rest of my life. I also left my church. This probably sounds terrifying, but it has been so liberating. I'm still in transition, but I finally feel free from my own judgment, unhappiness, and legalism. Thanks for making this material available, Natalie and team, because it has really validated my deepest heart cries that I thought would never be heard. I know you have and will continue to receive a lot of flack, but it's only because the enemy knows you're out there making a huge dent in his sordid plans. <laughs> That's my favorite part. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for leaving that review. Here's another one. I have been binge listening to this podcast for the past month. I love Natalie's voice. It is peaceful, calm, reassuring, and wise. Tell my kids that. I love her sense of humor. Tell my kids that too. Most importantly, I listen because I need help. I'm struggling with dealing with the family system I grew up in. I have a lovely family, husband and young kids, that I fought hard to change generational patterns. I'm now feeling strong enough to tackle the patriarchal system I grew up in. I find so much useful information about spiritual abuse and being who God wants me to be. Hearing Natalie talk about how I can still be loved by God and not suffer with abuse is truly helpful. I listen to gain confidence in saying no more to my father. I'm not there yet, but it is happening slowly. So um, I love that. I love that this podcast is helping not just women who are in uh, abusive marriages, but also women who are just detoxing and healing from abusive families of origin, because there's that too, right? All right. Um, That person, her name was an apple a day. And I think there was a number after it. But I was thinking when I read it, I was like, an apple a day plus the Flying Free podcast. And here we are. Here we are together again. All right, you guys. I also have a place where you can ask questions, and then sometimes I do an episode where I answer your questions, and this is one of those episodes. So I'm going to be only answering one question to this episode because I have a lot to say about it, but um, hopefully this will be helpful for you. Let's listen to the question. Hi, Natalie. I'd like to ask a question about emotional abuse when the children don't really recognize it as emotional abuse, they don't understand what's going on and they're confused. How much should I say to my children and what should I say when they still see their dad as a loving person and they don't really seem to believe you and they've been manipulated by him? Anything that you could give uh, to help with, with that would be great. Thank you. Bye. 
Okay, so I understand the extreme anxiety that this can cause in a woman. And here's why. She has been invalidated by her partner and possibly by her family of origin and possibly by her church as well. Her experience, her opinions, and her perspective have been dismissed and ignored and even pathologized. In other words, people around her have told her that just the fact that she would dare to speak up about her experience demonstrates that she is inadequate as a woman or as a Christian, as a human being. Her voice doesn't count. She is erased. Basically, everyone around her is gaslighting her. They're telling her that she is making up her experiences in her head. And because she is already questioning her own reality, she feels like she's going crazy. So to solve for this problem, she will believe that she needs to make herself more clear. She needs to get these people to see the truth. She will try to explain to her partner a million different ways what he is doing to her. She will try explaining kindly. She will try explaining in a loud and desperate way. She will cry. She will plead. She will yell. She will go to others in hopes that they will believe her and help her, but they don't. She will plead with them. She will send them articles and books. She will buy her husband books. She will try marriage counseling and Bible studies and marriage retreats and marriage intensives. She will try giving him what he wants in hopes that he then will see how hard she is trying and will want to meet her halfway. She 100% believes that the answer to finding peace and wholeness and truth and rest is in being seen by all of these people around her, being seen and heard. And this includes her kids. How do I know this? Because I lived it. I know that desperation. I know that crazy feeling. I know the deep desire to pull my hair out by their follicles and to silently scream into my pillow at night, begging God to literally put me out of my misery. All of my well-being and happiness depended on all these other people seeing me, knowing me, understanding me, listening to me, and believing me. My brain believed this, and it could not believe anything other than this. Until I hit rock bottom and woke up to the reality that I was letting all these other human beings control me and my life and my joy. I was giving them all of this credibility And I was giving myself zero credibility. I was actually buying into their reality and their manual for me. And I was erasing myself. And that, my friends, was the real problem. Now, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. One day I woke up and looked in the mirror with deep resolution. And I said, Natalie, starting today, I'm going to have your back. Starting today, I'm going to take care of Natalie. I'm going to let everyone else believe what they want and do what they want. And I'm going to believe what I choose to believe and do what I choose to do. And they will call me a rebel and a Jezebel and only God knows what else. And guess what? I am all in on supporting you, Natalie. You have two beings in this universe who will rise up on your behalf, your creator and me. He's got you. And now I've got you too. 
So let's do this. And you guys, I never looked back. Now, that doesn't mean that my brain wasn't still looping on the same programming that it had been looping on my entire life. That programming included thoughts like, you're wrong and they're right. You aren't worth much unless you're making others happy and doing what they want you to do. You don't really know what's best. You make dumb choices and you have dumb ideas. You will fail. People don't like you for you. You all by yourself are not lovable. My brain still wanted to go to all of those thoughts. Those neural connections were hardwired into me after years of hearing those kinds of messages. But I started noticing those thoughts, observing them kind of from a bird's eye view or a third person perspective, and that helped me to start questioning those thoughts. I started digging into them. And then I was able to introduce and practice newer, healthier thoughts once I could see these ugly thoughts that I just was buying into, my brain was buying into. Now, I first learned how to have my own back with those outside of my family. I was able to more easily let them go, okay? Now, it, it, it's, it still hurt like crazy, and I grieved fiercely, but I was able to allow them to have their perceptions and know that they just couldn't possibly know the truth. They had never been they had never, you know, been able to live with my husband even for a week, let alone 22 years. They just had to make up their own stories, whatever their brains wanted to believe based on their programming and their indoctrination, and I really needed to accept that as a reality. But my kids, that was a harder pill to swallow. My kids had lived with it too. They were frustrated as well, but in a different way and on a different level. This wasn't their husband. This was their dad. Plus, their brains were still developing, and to them, this was all normal. I mean, they didn't like it, but it was familiar to them. It was all they had ever known, so it felt safe in kind of a twisted way. Now, at one point, I sat down with my four older kids and their dad And we all poured our hearts out to dad, begging him to hear us and to stop some of his destructive behaviors. My oldest son, who never cried, cried. It was heart-wrenching. And I thought, surely, if anything could reach this man's heart, this meeting would. But you know what? He dug his heels in deeper. And he mocked us, made fun of us for several weeks afterwards. Also, he accused us of ganging up on him and not taking, believe this, he accused us of not taking responsibility for our own behavior, but instead making our problems all about him. Isn't that fascinating? Well, that's when I realized, okay, this really is hopeless. This guy was who he was. And there just wasn't anything anyone could do to change it. So we all just kind of hunkered down and endured. But by the time, fast forward a few years, by the time I actually separated from their dad, my oldest was 20 years old and he was getting married. And when he got, I know that's pretty young, isn't it? When he got married, his dad, newly separated from me, began to reach out and build a relationship with this boy a relationship that this child had needed his whole life. To this day, they have a decent relationship, and this son trusts and defends his dad. 
I kind of became this unforgiving mom who refused to see how much dad had finally at long last changed. This is what this child needed to believe and what he needs to believe. And that's okay. The other kids were so sad to see dad moving first into a camper. I had offered to pay for his apartment with my soap money. I made and sold soap. Um, And then he eventually moved from the camper into an apartment. Now, he was sad, and they felt terrible for him. They would spend Saturdays with him. They would swim in his apartment swimming pool. In the meantime, I was single parenting all of the other days of the week. I was taking the kids to their therapy appointments, their doctor appointments. There was nine kids, you guys. Well, eight, because one of them had moved out and got married. uh, driving them to their different schools. I had a child with autism. I had another child that eventually was diagnosed with BPD. I was making all their meals, doing their laundry, dealing with this daughter who eventually was diagnosed with BPD, and my autistic son, who at that time was a runner, and he required, uh, a runner is uh, a a young child who runs. Like if if you Uh, let him go anywhere. He just runs. He'll run. He'll just run right into the street. He'll run away. He'll run into the woods. He'll run into a lake. He was a runner. Um, He required all eyeballs on deck 100% of the time. And I had all of this going on and more that I can't even think of because it's such a blur, all while continuing to make and sell and ship homemade soap so that I could pay for their school and my husband's apartment. I was the parent on duty, and dad was the fun parent who could just relax and swim with them on Saturdays for a few hours. Now, guess which parent they enjoyed more during that time? Now that he wasn't with us all the time, they only saw him for a short period of time, and of course, he was able to put on his very best side, and he had a very good side to him. And they missed him. They loved him. They desperately wanted us to be a family again. So their brains were searching for evidence that dad was different and mom could take him back and all would be well. But much to their dismay, mom wasn't getting with the program. She wasn't agreeing with the plan. Mom was still saying that dad hadn't changed. What was her problem anyway? Couldn't she see how nice he was now? In spite of this confusion on their part, I was still the parent they knew they could count on. I would always be there. I would come through. I would take care of them. They knew that. This is because that's, I was very consistent in my reliability. Years later, some of the older ones told me that they had that perception of me. So I, so don't underestimate the power of being present with your kids when you've got them of being consistent and reliable and trustworthy. They really need you to be stable. They will often get angry about what's happening, and rightly so. They're going through some very difficult times. It's very confusing for them. They don't understand it. They're going to take out that anger. Guess on who? Guess who? On you. Why? Because you are the safe parent. They instinctively know that if they confront the abusive parent, what's the abusive parent going to do? He's going to criticize them. He's going to reject their feedback. He's going to blame shift. He's going to turn it back on them. He's going to yell at them. He's going to basically treat them um, poorly. All right. So what do they do? They take all of their fears and all of their anxieties and all of their frustrations and they dump it on the safe parent. 
Now, if you can understand that and hold space for that and try not to take it personally because it's not personal, then that's going to help you and them. And remember, always remember, this is a long game. Things aren't going to change overnight. So you're going to have to do this for a long, long time. Now, that was during the time when I was separated from a husband. I thought we were going to be getting back together again. I thought, I thought we'll separate. He will miraculously change and then we'll get back together. End of story. That's what my church thought. That's what everyone, I, I don't know why everyone thinks that story is how it goes down because it never goes down that way. I shouldn't say it never does. It rarely goes down that way. But that, for some reason, that is in our collective programming as a church culture. And even though it never works that way, or rarely does. All right. So anyway, after I was separated for almost two years, um, I thought that when I filed for divorce that my kids would take it in stride. We had gotten somewhat used to our new normal. It had been almost two years by that time, for crying out loud. Dad had been living in his apartment and us living in the house. But you know what? When I filed for divorce, they were sad all over again. I know now that is normal because they were still hoping deep down inside for reconciliation. And now, now that I had filed for divorce, that hope was really gone. I suppose it's kind of like watching someone die of cancer. Until they're gone, there's always this irrational hope that a miracle is going to happen. So some of those kids believed that I was making a big mistake. I had raised them, after all, in a very conservative homeschooling community, and divorce just wasn't an option. They had learned well. My littlest kids did not know any different. Three of those young, the three youngest couldn't even remember what it was like when dad had been living with us. So for them, it really wasn't a huge thing. It was kind of all they had known. But the older ones did struggle. And yes, when this happens, just expect that if you are the one who filed for divorce, you are the one who's going to look like the bad guy. Okay? You're going to have to take it like a man, women. That's the gig, my friends. It is hell to get out, and this is just one of those layers of hellishness, perhaps even the very worst of the layers for many moms. So I have three pieces of advice for you. Number one, as I mentioned earlier, this is a long game. Divorce is kind of like an earthquake. It's kind of like a lot of things, but right now we're going to think of it as an earthquake. It swallows up some things and it levels everything else. But what happens after an earthquake? A community rebuilds and eventually things go back to a new normal. Is it ever going to look the same? Of course not. It's going to look different, but it can still be good. I'm four years past the finalization of my divorce. My divorce took almost two years as well. Um, so basically, we are almost six years past my filing for divorce. And a lot has happened in that six years. My kids have done a lot of growing. They see things more clearly now that the dust has cleared. I've gotten remarried. They love their stepdad. I've done a ton of growing. But if you would have told me six years ago that life was going to look like this someday, I would have had a very difficult time believing you. Now, six years might seem like a long time to you, especially if you just want relief today. But that's not how this game is played. You invest in tears today and you reap in joy down the road. This is a long game. Be ready to play for a while. My second piece of advice let go of your kids 
and you will have a better chance of getting them back. This is not a guarantee. And if you let go just so that you can get them back, that's maybe, you know, that might not work out for you. You really need to let them go because they deserve the same respect and freedom and autonomy that you do. They don't have to agree with you. When you can hold space for them to have different experiences and opinions from you, you will find yourself in a better place to gain joy and love and peace in spite of the fact that they may be angry with you. We can understand why they are angry, right? They have their own pain to process. I highly recommend that you get them into therapy if you can afford it and if they have a desire to do it. If they don't have a desire to do it, if we're talking about teenagers, I would not force it on them, but I would always make it available to them. I've had to let go of my kids in different ways and for different reasons. My oldest son and his wife wouldn't have anything to do with me for two and a half years when they found out that I was dating Tom. So I had to let go and give them space to feel their anger and frustration and work it out on their own. That was one of the most painful things I have ever experienced in my life. I'm not going to lie. But eventually they came back. Uh, I call it a miracle and I get to enjoy them again. My second son has also had his own journey away from many of the things that I've taught him. I've had to let him go and take that journey and try not to pull him back or manipulate him into believing what I want him to believe about God and faith. That stuff doesn't work anyways, right? I've had to let go of my fifth child, a daughter with very serious mental health issues that involved the police, years of therapy, many scary, scary situations, physical abuse, and other horrific things that I really don't enjoy remembering. I had to force her out of my home when she was only 15 years old and send her to live with her dad in order to protect my four youngest and help them recover and heal from the ongoing trauma that her mental illness had caused them. She's now 18 years old. She's going to graduate from high school this year. She has limped along, but she is making it. And we have a good relationship now. But again, it was a painful, scary letting go process. I've had to let go of other things in other ways as well. I had to let go of homeschooling. I had to let go of taking them to church and raising them the way I was raised with a church family who loved and cared for us. I had to let go of trying to control the narrative in their mind of how everything went down. When they would come home and tell me that their dad had told them, for example, that I had stolen all of the fire detectors out of his home, I had to tell them, no, I did not, and then be okay with them believing their dad if they wanted to. Can you guys hear the dogs in the background? I have, we have three Morkies and they're just the cutest little things, but they must be, there must be something going on downstairs. I'm just going to leave it in there because we're just going to keep it real. Okay. All right. All I can do is tell my kids my experience and then they have to decide for themselves who they want to trust. Now, over time, they, as they've observed and you know, seen things go down over and over again, they've decided that they can trust me. But do you know how that trust was built? I just keep showing up for them day in and day out. I am relentless. 
Dad can do whatever he wants. The church people can do whatever they want. Grandma and aunts and uncles can do whatever they want. They can all be fickle and abandon my kids when they just can't make things work on their end. But you know, I just keep showing up like a rabid dog with a bone. I decided long ago, that's who I am. I'm the mom who shows up. Always. I have boundaries and limits, but the foundation is faithfulness and consistency. And honestly, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of how I've chosen to live my life, how I've done my duty no matter what. But if my kids don't see that, it's okay. I'm still going to be who I am because who I am does not depend on anyone else's opinion of me. It all depends on me. The third piece of advice is this. It's actually okay if your kids love and believe their dad. Your relationship with them literally has nothing to do with their relationship with their dad. Now, you might think it does. You might tie it all together because dad's tell, you know talking smack about you, but it doesn't. If you can get your focus off of their relationship with their dad, which is not something that's not your business and not in your jurisdiction anyways, and just focus on your time with them and being present with them and reveling in whatever time you get with them with gratefulness and joy and peace, that energy that you bring to your relationship with them is going to show and it will make a difference. If they can see that you are confident, full of peace and love and all in, on their joy and happiness, they are going to be attracted to that. And they're going to gravitate towards you like B, like AB to honey. Now, how do you get to that place? That is the work that I help women do in the flying free program. And then I help divorced women do it in the flying higher program. Here's what one member recently wrote. Thank you for this program. It has helped me and my kiddos with so many coping skills I never had in my teens. They are showing up and this mom is so proud. You guys, that's actually something I hear a lot. Women are amazed to see how the work that they are doing inside the Flying Free program is changing them in such a way that it actually trickles out and down into the lives of the ones that they love. This is the kind of power that I would love to see you practice and acquire. And if you'd like to join us in this empowering work, you can find out more and apply by going to joinflyingfree.com. So thanks for the question. And if you want to, if you have a question, if any of the rest of you have a question you want to ask, if you go to flyingfreenow.com forward slash 149. That's this episode. You could actually go to any of the episodes. It's just flyingfreenow.com forward slash and then any number up to 149. That'll take you to any one of our podcast episodes. On every single podcast episode page, there's a link to the place where you can actually leave a question. You can leave a recorded question just like these ladies have. And then if I, I don't answer all of them, but if I feel like, hey, this is a question that a lot of people have, I will answer that question in an upcoming podcast, okay? I'd love to hear what you want to know about. All right, you guys, that's all I have for you for today. Until next time, fly free.